I would invite you to take your Bibles and return to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 21. We are engaged in a study of the Gospel of Luke. We are going through this thought by thought. This is your first Sunday here. We're just walking through it chapter by chapter, and we have left off here at Luke chapter 21. I was thinking this morning as I was clearing my driveway of the snow, and I, a bunch of snow flew back in my face, and it was one of those moments when it was really cold, and I thought to myself, this is never going to end. This winter's never going to end. And I'm like, okay, God, I, I don't want to have a bad attitude. I need a silver lining. I need some kind of hope. And then it hit me. If the snow never ends this year, we're guaranteed a white Christmas in December. So I did think about that, and I thought, that's a good thing. Okay, so if we can hold out till next December, we'll be happy. It'll be white. It'll, hopefully, it won't be that brown snow, but, but it'll be white and good. And so, so there's just a little bit of uh, silver lining if you need it this morning. Uh, speaking of that, if you have not spoken to either Jeff Johnson or Mariah Lewis today, you might want to, okay? They've got some news that impact ring fingers. Separately. 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 Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I knew what I meant. <laughs> They're independent stories of each other. Independent stories, yes. Yeah, speak to them separately. They... <laughs> You're not recording this, are you? No. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Sorry. I'm just laughing too much. Yeah. Independent stories of each other. <laughs> All right, you guys got to quit laughing in the front row here because you're going to mess me up. Okay. Yes, good news for both Jeff and Sarah and... Mariah and Aaron, so, <laughs> okay, well, we should pray, I think that would be a good transition, <laughs> well, let's pray, Father, I thank you for uh, the glory of this day, I thank you for the joy of the Lord, I thank you for the privilege we've had of, of, uh, of being at your table, of celebrating this as a community, I thank you, God, that we are a family, a body, and we can Rejoice in you because of your blood. You've made us one. That you took our, not only our punishment and not only provided a way for us to be saved, but, but you also brought us into your body and you've allowed us to, to partake of not only you, but to be unified with each other. God, grateful for that. I pray now that as we're under your word that we would understand this rather huge and complex passage. Help us to, uh, to see what is said here with clarity. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. About 10 or so years ago, I, I think I've shared this story before, but about 10 or so years ago, Heather and I went to a bed and breakfast, and this was a, a really cool place. Um, one of the coolest places I can think of that I visited. Um, this guy that owned this bed and breakfast, it was a, I don't want to call it a mansion, but it was a pretty big house, lots of bedrooms and different things. And, and this guy, the uh, older gentleman, what he did with his life is he was, he's a World War II veteran, and he was down in the Pacific somewhere during World War II, 
And after the war, he realized that uh, industrialization was going to hit, and many of these tribes and places around the world were going to change because of just the fact that you now have kind of a, a little, he just kind of anticipated what globalization was going to do and, and industrialization. And, and he, he wasn't a believer, but he was from an independently wealthy family. He didn't need to work, so he just spent his whole life after World War II traveling every nation of the world. That's what he did. He just traveled every single nation and, uh, and, and just collected artifacts and, and, and stuff, statues and pictures from every nation. He went everywhere, and he had all these stories that he would tell of all these different places. And then when he got too old to travel, he bought this bed and breakfast, big house, lots of rooms, and every room he dedicated to a different country, and he put all the artifacts in there from all the different countries. And you walk down the hallways of this old house, and there were pictures. There's pictures of him with tribal chiefs from different places and all kinds of stuff. Out in the backyard, he had this, I don't know if you want to call it a museum, but he had different statues from places. And, and he'd say, oh, yeah, that one, this government over here wants to get this back for me because it's some kind of government treasure, and, and uh, you know, I got this. All kinds of stuff. It was really fascinating. And uh, so Heather and I are there, and we're having breakfast first morning with them. And, and I just said, boy, in, in all your travels around the world, what, what observation do you have? What, what, what hits you, you know? Just, you know, you've been to every country in the world. What hits you? And his response, he's not a believer, his response was, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. That's what hit him. The unifying factor was religion. Everybody believes in something. Everybody's got an answer for where we came from. Everybody's got an answer for where we're going. Everybody has a belief in something. And I've often thought about that answer in, in a variety of different contexts because I thought about the fact that, that as human beings, we have questions. Right? Just, just sit around and think about what happens to you after you die. As soon as you enter into that question and you start thinking about that question, you're entering the world of religion. You're entering the world of what is out there. Is there another life? Is there another dimension? Is there a spiritual world and a physical world? How do these things work together? Religion is always about answering those things. Religion stands in the gap to try to say we're going to explain the temporal world or the physical world, and we're going to try to explain the, 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 the spiritual world or the eternal world. We're standing between those two worlds. We're trying to explain them to you. Some religions come and they say, well, you know, the key to life is to empty yourself of this world and to kind of get to nothingness, and, and then you've kind of left this dimension and you've entered this other dimension, this you know, kind of world. That's some views. Other views are, boy, you know, there's a judge out there and you better do good and measure up because if you die, you know, uh, you don't want to be standing before that judge without a lot of good things in your, in your pocket, so to speak. Other religions say, well, the key is that there's a physical world and a spiritual world and they're in tension all the time and we have to make sure that we keep that tension in balance. In fact, you know a little saying, knock on wood, it's actually a a religious saying, it's from animism, basically it's saying that there's in the wood, in the trees are gods. And when you say something, if you say, boy, I, I hope it's 70 degrees tomorrow, then you would go knock on wood in our culture, right? Knock on wood. What, what, what that really was was a practice that said, I want to take the demons away. I want to scare them out of the wood so that they don't steal those words and take them away. So, and that, that's just an animistic belief that we've got to keep the spirits in balance 
And we're going to do that by knocking on wood and other little practices like that. All kinds of teaching out there. But what they're all trying to do is they're all trying to explain how do we understand this world in the moment? How do we understand all the stuff that's going on around me? And how do I put that in perspective of what's going to happen in the future? And that's what religion does. If you come and you turn on television, religious television, you'll see all kinds of different answers. Some people trying to say the key to life is politics or the key to life is studying and knowing when the end of the age is going to come or all these kinds of things that go on. And so the question is, how do we understand this world, which is really what religion is trying to do? Well, that's really what this section in Luke is about. Jesus is trying to explain, laying out before us, how do we live in this world in light of what's coming, in light of the present, in light of understanding our relationship to the government, in light of understanding our relationship to the end of the age, and what should I do, how should I live? He's laying all that out. And what he's going to do for us with clarity and certainty is explain all of this to us. And it's so, in one sense, rich and deep and profound, and on the other sense, it's so simple. And I want us just to walk through this today. We're going to look at this question that was asked. We're going to look at the way Jesus answers this question and the challenge that he puts before us. Because the challenge that he puts before us is not a challenge where, 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 where we're supposed to take this and say, okay, I'm going to tell you the end of the age. I'm going to give you the date as to when Jesus is going to come back. Or, or I'm going to lay out for you, you know, what political party you should vote for or whatever. That's not the challenge that Jesus lays before us. The challenge that Jesus lays before us is right there. I put it in your outline. He says, listen, I do not want you to be deceived by false teaching. I want you to endure and I want you to watch yourself and be awake. Stay awake. And that's what we're going to see today. And what I hope that you get as we go through this is an understanding of how to live in this age. An understanding of, of all of that balance that all the religions try to put out there. How do we live in light of the future, in light of the present, in light of our circumstances? How do we live? I hope that you hear the words of Jesus and that you can understand how to live in this age. That's my heart for you as we go through this. But let's begin with this question. I, I call it the question we all ask because what is going on in this story, in this account, is, is something that, uh, that how we would respond if we were in this situation. Would you just follow along as I start reading in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. It says, And while some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. He said, As for those things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of these things that are about to take place? So Jesus is in the temple. He's just witnessed this widow who had given some money and he commented on the fact that she was all in and the people around him were not. They were not living for God's kingdom and God's glory. It's clear they were living for their own glory. They were holding on to their own stuff, building up empires of themselves. They were in awe of the temple. The temple that was built in Jerusalem at that time was beautiful, stone, marble, laced with gold. 
and people are there. It's Passover week, and they're just excited about what they see. They see all this glorious temple, and, and they're, just, they're just in awe of this. And Jesus says, a day is coming when this temple will be destroyed. Because you see, God is not just about building holy buildings that people walk into and then just feel like they're in some transcendent place. God is about making his name known everywhere through his people. That's what he's about. That's why in John chapter 4, when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman, remember? And she says, what, what's the right, where's the right temple? Is it the Samaritan one in Mount Gerizim or is it the Jewish one in, in Jerusalem? And he says, well, right now it's the one in Jerusalem, but today is coming when it's going to be you. You're going to be my temple. I'm going to dwell in your heart. And you're going to worship me as my temple. And everywhere you go, you'll bring my presence. That's my plan. They lost this. They wanted it to be about a building. Jesus says it will be destroyed. Now, could you imagine? You're sitting there, and Jesus is saying, right? You trust him as a teacher, and he says, this whole temple's going to be destroyed. You could imagine what they would be thinking, right? They asked two questions. When? And how will we know? Right? Those are two fair questions. That's the question everybody's asking today, right? You, you cannot go too far without finding somebody out there trying to tell you when the end of the age is going to come, when Jesus is going to come back, right? A bunch of people out there. Just a few years ago, we had a radio guy. He's coming on May 21st, you know, 2011. He's coming back, right? Because people want this. And people will give millions of dollars to somebody who will tell them when Jesus is going to come back. That's what people want to know. It's an industry, a billion-dollar industry. And if you can do Bible math, right, add up all these dates and subtract things and add things and make it sound like you know what you're talking about, right, toss in a little Hebrew words, you'll get people who will just say, yes, and they'll give you your money. Oh, that's the time. We figured it out. Right? This is what humans, that's why I say it's a question we all ask. When, when, when? Now, what Jesus does is he says, now I'm going to answer your question. But I'm not going to tell you when. But I'm going to help you understand how to live. And that's where he goes. And that's the key. When they ask this question, Jesus is not going to answer when. He could have. He could have said 70 AD, the temple is going to return. And on such and such a day, the Son of Man is going to come. But he doesn't do that. He says, now listen, I, I want to explain to you how to live. And what I want to do is I want to put in perspective for you how to not just understand the destruction of the temple, but how to understand how to live until the Son of Man returns. So he gives them a lot more in this answer than just when will the temple be destroyed. He's going to help them understand, listen, I don't want you just to know when the temple is going to be destroyed. I want you to understand how to live in the world. And so he lays it all out for them. And it's so clear. It's so clear. If you can resist doing all the little Bible gymnastics of trying to figure things out and just listen to what he said, it's so clear. In fact, let's just look. The first thing that he tells them is he says, now you want to know when and how and all this stuff? Well, I want to tell you, if you're going to be prepared, you need to understand, do not be deceived. It's the first thing he's going to tell them. Do not be deceived. Look at verse 8, verses 8 and 9. And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. 
For these things must first take place. Then listen to this. But the end will not be at once. You gotta let that sink in in our age. Because every time there's a war in the Middle East, there's 57 books out there about how Jesus is going to return. Now, if you read what he says here, he makes it pretty clear. There's going to be wars. Nations are going to fight. Don't be led astray by the people who say, he's coming. Here it is. See that war over there? That's a fulfillment of this one line in this one verse in the book of Hosea. That's it. We got it. We figured it out. He's saying, don't do that. Don't be afraid. When the world goes to war, don't freak out. Okay? It's not coming then, is what he's saying. Okay? He's preparing them. So don't be deceived. Now, we, it's easy to get deceived. I've mentioned this to you in the past. When I was in high school, I got led astray by these by people who did this stuff, man. And there was this, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I think, you know, there was this prophecy hotline. Every day at 5 o'clock, man, somebody updated this voicemail message telling, here's what happened today, and here's we're one day closer to the return of Jesus. I couldn't wait to call that thing, find out what's going on. Jesus is coming. I think we know when. I think we know who the Antichrist is. I think we know who the false prophet is. I was getting all pumped about it. Right? That's where our heart goes. This is why Jesus wrote this. Don't go there. Don't go there. When somebody comes and says, I'm the Messiah, don't follow them. It's pretty clear. Instead, he wants them to do something else. He wants them to endure. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilence. And there will be terror and great signs from the heavens, right? All kinds of things are going to happen. Polar vortexes are going to land upon the Midwest and go until July, right? (laughs) But it's not the sign. I wish it was, right? Right? This this stuff's going to happen. And then look at verse 12. But before all this, got to notice that, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For, you, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So he's saying, now, guys, I want to explain something. Don't be led astray. There's going to be wars. Nations are going to fight. Nations are, and even before the whole world goes into chaos and war, I believe he's talking about the disciples here, you disciples are going to be brought up before the synagogue leaders, and they're going to persecute you, and they're going to kill you, and it's going to be rough. I'll preserve you. I'll protect you. I'll give you the words to say. Right? All you got to do is get to Acts chapter 4, and what do you have? Peter and the boys being arrested, and they're able to speak to those guys. God gave them wisdom. He says, don't worry about it. I'll be there. But know this. When you embrace Jesus, they will turn against you. After that, 
The whole world's going to be tossed into chaos. And there's going to be world wars. And the planet's going to have some issues. There's going to be earthquakes. All kinds of bugs and West Nile virus and things like that. But don't freak out. Don't be led astray. That's just what's going to happen. Right? He's just telling us, this is what you need to know. Because you see, I believe, if he start, once he starts talking about the temple right away, they're going to start thinking the end of the age is going to come. They're going to do what we do. We rush to the rapture as quickly as possible. And he's saying, slow down. I'm going to explain some things to you. The world's going to go crazy. But what I want you to do, disciples, is endure. Endure through the pain. Endure through the persecution. Endure through the loss. Endure through the fact that it will be tough. Endure through the fact that, that not everything's going to be perfect in your home life. Endure through the fact that even your own family's going to turn against you. Endure. Do not give up. And by your perseverance, you stay true to me. You will be redeemed. And he'll explain that redemption when it comes. And you will be redeemed. And he says that you get to actually be my witness, he says in there. I don't know if you know this, but the word witness is literally the word martyr, if you were to translate it from Greek to English. And the word martyr used to just mean someone who bore testimony of something. But it was the early church that changed the definition of the word martyr by their example. They bore witness to Jesus unto death. And the fact that they weren't willing to turn on Christ actually took the name and they Christianized it in one sense. People started using the word martyr to refer to somebody who died for a cause. The original definition just means to bear witness. But he says, you're going to bear witness, and you're going to bear witness all the way through to the end. Now remember, the issue on the table is when will Jerusalem be destroyed? So that's the next thing that he goes on. He says, now listen, I'm going to give you now the sign of Jerusalem. This is important to me because... Some people would question, you know, why should we listen to Jesus? Right? Why, why would you bank your life on him? Well, notice something. He's going to, what he said here, he said 30 years before the temple was destroyed. He said these words, 30 years, and I want you to listen to these words. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now, these words are very important. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out of the country enter it. Mark those. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He's saying this in roughly A.D. 33. This event happened A.D. 70. Now what is he saying? He's saying, now listen, you want to know about the destruction of the temple, just know this. When the armies are outside of Jerusalem, outside the walls of the city, Get out. Don't go in. Even if you're in the Judea region, get out. Because there's going to be horrible, horrible things that are going to happen. The city will fall. 
and the Romans will crush it, the temple will be destroyed, and there will never be the presence, this, this type of presence again in this place until the time of the Gentiles is completed. Until the mission has made its way around the world and the new Jerusalem comes into play. Now that's what's going to happen. Now what happened? In A.D. 66, so roughly about, what, 30 years, 33 years later, after Jesus said this, some Roman zealots, I'm I'm sorry, Jewish zealots, got angry about the taxation in Rome. And so they attacked some Roman guards. They killed them. The Romans fired up this, this garrison, and the Jews gathered a, a militia, and they attacked the garrison, and they literally drove the Romans out of Jerusalem. And they thought, this is it, man. We're going to do it. We're going to conquer the Romans. And so they closed the walls of the city. Okay, Jerusalem was a fortified city. It meant there's a giant wall around it. And they had supplies in that city, water and food and everything they needed and weaponry to defend their city. The Romans came back with 60,000 Roman soldiers surrounded the city. And over the course of about three and a half years, they sieged the city. The Romans were smart because there were Jews that were out in the countryside that, you know, Jews have lots of festivals, right? They have lots of worship festivals and lots of opportunities that they need to go to the temple. So the Romans said this, We're out to crush the zealots. We're not out to crush your religion. So if you are Jewish and you want to go worship in the temple, you're welcome to go into Jerusalem and worship, and we won't kill you on your way in. Now, what were Jesus' words? When you see the city surrounded, do not go in. Get out. Well, these Jews came in, and the Romans said, yeah, you can come in, but we're not going to let you out. You're trapped. Now, why is that an issue? Well, let's just stop and think about this. we got a few hundred people here in this room. Let's say we had enough food and water for our group here for the next 10 years. And then we double the population in the room. Now we have enough for the next five years. And then my math can't go beyond that. So you can figure it out, okay? (laughs) You keep adding people, you're using up resources. And so the Romans said, go ahead, go in, go in, go in. And the people kept coming from the countryside. Go in, go in, go in. Oh yeah, you can get in. And then they tried to get out and they'd shoot at them. Say, no, you can't get out. They used up all the food. They used up all the water. They say, historians say, that by the time the Romans sieged the city, they came in and people were actually eating people. And there were dead babies everywhere. Because they couldn't feed them. The moms couldn't produce milk. And it was horrible. And the Romans had very little fight. They had very little resistance once they they breached the walls. And they got in there and they burned that temple down. And it burned for a month. And as we said last week, so much gold in that temple was pouring out of Jerusalem like a river down the hill. It's just huge. But 33 years before this, Jesus says, now listen, when you see the armies around Jerusalem, know this. Get out and don't go in there. Get out. Don't go in there. See, here's what's happening. The kingdom of God is being taken away. And it's going to people who will be faithful with it. Who will take it to the nations. Who will not try to create a little cloister group and make everything about the glory of their temple. But who will recognize now 
But they, as the body of Christ, are God's temple, and they will go and make his name known everywhere. And billions and billions of people from every tribe and nation and tongue are here over history, will hear, have heard of the glory of Jesus. And many will be brought into the kingdom and paraded before God as his creation who are redeemed. Jesus is saying, he's, I'm going to tell you guys something. This is going to happen. And I'll tell you why it's going to happen. Because this is God's plan. In fact, it was written this way. In Deuteronomy 29, God gave a warning. He told the people, if you guys get so caught up in yourself, and you so live for yourself, and you only think it's only about you, I'm going to burn you out of your cities, as in Deuteronomy 29. I'm going to burn you out. I'm going to wipe you out. Jesus is saying this is exactly what's going to happen. Now, the key here is that none of that is the sign that the Son of Man's returning. Okay? It's just what's happened. So he's told us. Now, listen. Don't be deceived. Don't take any of this as the sign that the Son of Man is returning. There's going to be war. There's going to be pestilence. Jerusalem's going to fall. They will be conquered. A thumb will be placed over the city. And this is what will happen And even though the Jews are back in the land today, there's a mosque on the Temple Mount. Right? God just said, this is what's going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. But don't think this is the sign of the end of the age. Now, he's going to give us the sign of the end of the age. But but what we have to recognize is it leads us to the second thing he's telling us. To watch yourself and to stay awake. Because that's what he wants. Right? He doesn't want us to do Bible math, end times math. He wants us to watch ourselves. So listen to what he says. Now he's going to tell us about the end of the age and what it's going to look like. And he says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawn near. I like to say it this way. If you were to say, Steve, what is the sign of the return of Jesus? One of the answer is the return of Jesus. <laughs> That's the sign. He's going to show up in the sky, is what he says. And when he shows up, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they go out. Well, what happens when the sun, the moon, and stars go out? I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that the sun, especially the moon, is somehow connected to the tides. And so suddenly, the whole earth goes crazy because the sun and the moon, all the stuff that goes on with all the planets and all this stuff get messed up. And people start to freak out. They begin to cry out in terror because in the sky is Jesus and everyone sees it. There is the sign. So the sign of the return of Jesus is the return of Jesus. That's it. Now you'll know when it's the return of Jesus because you're going to be surrounded by people screaming for help because they're seeing and experiencing the full power of the glory of God. I remember in the Air Force, first time I was out on a flight line and uh, you know, guarding an airplane. Okay, boring job, just standing there, checking badges of pilots. They're getting on their planes. And the first time I was out on the flight line, 
and a jet took off, fighter jet. And you hear those engines, and you're, I'm on the flight line, and I hear, like, and it freaked me out. It is powerful. Like, you see it in the movies, and you hear it on your digital surround sound things. It is nothing like standing on a flight line far away, but hearing that jet take off and hearing that sound. It is so powerful. It was like, wow, that is loud. And I think about that when I think about the fact he's saying, Jesus is saying, the Son of Man will appear and he will take over the world in force. And people will be screaming and crying. And other people will be looking up and finding their redemption. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? But he's saying, there's your sign. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. I want you to, don't want you to miss that in there when he calls himself the Son of Man. It's a quote out of Daniel 7. You need to know that quote. It'll help you understand what Jesus is saying when he says the Son of Man returns. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel sees a vision. Here's his vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancients of days. It's God, the Father. And was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He's saying, the Son of Man will return. He will take over the cosmic order, and it will be intense. And the Son of Man, when he returns, is similar to a police siren. Think about this. If a burglar is breaking into your home, the police siren is a sound of judgment. But to the person in the home, it's a sound of redemption. The police are on their way. The return of Jesus will either be the greatest day in the world or the worst day. And Jesus wants to make it so clear, he tells a parable. So they understand this. Look at verse 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As they come out in leaf, you shall see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things take place, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, his parable is pretty simple. He's saying, you know, you don't really need to be a meteorologist to figure out when summer begins. You walk by, you see a fig tree when it has leaf on it, you know it's summertime. It's just that clear. And he's saying, listen, this is the reality of it. When I come back, there isn't going to be any kind of secretive moment here. When that guy a few years ago said Jesus was coming back on May 21st and judgment was going to come to earth and all this stuff, and then it didn't happen, a few weeks later or whatever, he's being interviewed by the press, and he said, well, it did happen, it just happened in secret. No one saw it. Well, you say, no, that's not the point. Jesus is saying, everyone will see it. The world will know. It's going to be like as obvious as summertime. It's obvious. It'll be so clear. Now, the hard part is this verse 32. 
Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. Everything I say won't. Jesus is saying, this is certain. You can bank on what I'm telling you here. Everything's going to go away, but my words won't. But, but here we have this little truly, like, right? He's saying, this is it. Absolute. Stick a fork in it. This generation will not pass away. The question is, what is he talking about? What generation is he talking about? And I want to kind of, for those of you who are looking at this going, ah, what does he mean there? Let me kind of explain this to you. I hope I don't, I don't lose you with it. There's three possible options here for this thing. One is he's saying, everybody that's standing before me will see all of these signs. Kind of rule that one out because Jesus hadn't returned and those people are dead. So, so probably going to rule that one out. Okay. Second option is the word generation can also refer to lineage or offspring. Could mean that. What that would mean is this. There's all this death and destruction that's going on, right? And it could look like he's saying Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. You guys are going to be persecuted. You guys will be delivered up to death. And it could seem like you guys are all going to die. There will be no more lineage. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Every Jew's going to be gone. Every Christian's going to be killed. And, and, and one potential option is he's saying, listen, I'm not, your, your generation, your people, your line will stay alive. You'll see it. I'm not wiping all the humans off the planet. I'm not wiping off this line. And you in this room, I'm not killing off all your generations. That is, a, that is a reasonable option because the word generation could refer to a line. That's its most natural rendering, actually. We talk about the generation of lessons. We're not just talking about me, right? When we say generations, we're talking about parents and my children. My grand, great-grandparents and my great-grandchildren. And so one rational, one, one reasonable uh, thing could be that, yes, death is coming, destruction's coming, but I'm not wiping you all out. You will see it. Your generations will see it. A third option is he's referring to the people who are actually witnessing the experience itself. Those that are actually seeing Jesus appear, they will all see it. And they'll all witness it. I think it's one of the last two. It's probably one of the last two. I don't think he's actually saying it because I don't think those people saw the return of Jesus right there. So I think I, I kind of land either that. He's saying your, your generations are going to see it or the people there will see it. Um, either way, what he's saying is it's going to be obvious to all and all will see it. And that's the point I think he's making. Now, what do you do with this? How do we drive this home? What's the application? The application isn't now do Bible math to figure out when Jesus is going to return. That's not the application. Because if the, if the sign of the return of Jesus is the return of Jesus, then you have no warning. When it comes upon you, it will either be a great day or a bad day. So notice what Jesus says. In verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipations and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. See, there's going to be no warning. The sign is when he's there, and when he's there, it's too late. So watch yourself. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Right? They're all going to see it. But stay awake at all times. 
praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Powerful statement, watch yourselves. The issue for me is not to read the newspaper to figure out when Jesus is going to return. Because I'm then I'm looking at the newspaper. The issue that he brings us to is, listen, you're not going to be ready for it. Because you don't know when it's going to come. The sign is when he's there, you'll know. And everyone will see it. And it'll be really clear. So, the question is, if it happens in five minutes from now, what will be revealed in your heart? That's what he's asking. When the return of Jesus comes, it reveals what you live for. That's what it will do. And if you say, I'm living for protecting my middle class world, I'm living to party, I'm living to get drunk, I'm living just to enjoy life, I'm living, I'm, 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 I'm built on building my own business and my own name for myself, and I'm, I'm going to make a career for myself, and it's all about me. I want to have fun, I want to travel the world, I want to enjoy my life. Whatever it is, if, whatever, if that's what you're living for, when the Son of Man returns, that's what will be revealed. And the implication is you won't be ready then to stand before him. And you'll be one of the people crying out in fear. But if you watch yourself and you say, God, I want to live for your kingdom. I want to live for you so that when you return, I can do what Jesus says. Look up, my redemption draweth nigh. Here. Finally, I'm redeemed. I am willing and desirous to lose my life on this earth to preserve my soul rather than sacrifice my soul to preserve my life. Now, for many of us in this room, we're probably not going to be arrested and handcuffed and tossed in front of a, you know, firing squad to say, renounce Jesus. So, so we don't face that kind of reality. But I face that reality in another way. Will I forgive my wife? Will I shepherd my children rather than boss my children? Will I serve a boss who's angry, hard to work with? Will I give up any idol that I have that everybody needs to change and make things right for me? Will I do what's right because it's right? Not because everybody else is ready and I'll do it right once it's all ready. You know, once everybody changes. But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to enable people to sin around me. So I, they need to change before I serve them or love them, right? That's the battle I live. And the question is, will I give up my right to justice? Will I give up my right to middle class life? Will I give up my right for comfort? Will I give up my right for security? Will I give it all up for the kingdom of God? This week I called Frank Drown, missionary, some of you know the story. I don't, won't set it all up, so I'm sorry I'm going to lose some of you with the story. He was a missionary in Ecuador who's helped us get to Canada to do some mission work up in the, in the villages up, at, up northwest Ontario. And I wanted to call Frank to tell him that Ron and Jen were up there. And I was talking with Frank about it, and I was reminded of something that he said to me as we were talking. He said, Steve, headhunters make the best missionaries. And he had worked for 40 years among headhunters. And I said, why do headhunters make the best missionaries? He said, because Americans work so hard thinking about all the things they're going to lose to make the name of Jesus known. 
all the things they have to give up, that they have this long journey they have to go through before they respond to the call of God. Because they're so busy trying to protect their middle class life. Headhunters own nothing. And so when God saves them, they go. I thought, that's a great point. I think that's Jesus' point. Be careful what you live for. He's not as concerned about Bible math as he's concerned about what owns our heart. And then when he returns, and we'll know it, we'll be ready. And we'll be able to do what he says, to look up our redemption draweth nigh. So the story ends, our account ends with Jesus teaching in the temple and people coming out to hear him. But this will end shortly as the account continues on. But as we wrap this up, here's the flow. Let me walk you through the flow. Jesus said, I don't want you to be tricked by people who say that they're Jesus. I don't want you to be tricked by people who say, here's his return. I've got it all figured out. The world's going to go crazy. Don't think that's a sign of my return. There's going to be all kinds of bug problems and pestilence issues and problems with the planet. Don't think that that's a sign of my return. Jerusalem will be destroyed. That's judgment coming upon Israel for not taking the name of Jesus to the nations. But it will go out. Don't think that's the sign of my return. When I return, that is the sign. And you'll know it. Because the whole earth will be thrown into chaos. And the hearts of some people will be revealed in terror because they've been living for themselves. And when they see the Son of Man, they will not be ready. And other people will look up because their redemption will be there. And so the warning for you is to ask yourself, who owns my heart? What owns my heart? What do I live for? There's three words that have come out, that have stuck out to me that I want to share with you just by way of conclusion. And the three words are this. And these three words, by the way, I think are the words that, I, that I've taken home personally from this. And the first one is discernment. I've got to live in this age discerning. I've got to be discerning. I don't want to be fooled by false teachers who get me caught up on the things Jesus doesn't want me caught up with. I've got to be discerning. The second word that came out for me in this passage as an application was perseverance. Stay true. Live for the glory of Jesus. And the third is purity. Live for the kingdom of God. When I talk about purity, I'm not talking about a rules list. I'm going to tell you what movies to watch or what movies not to watch. I think when I think of the word purity, I think, are we living for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man? If you're living for the kingdom of God, you'll make the right choices. That's purity. And so I want to turn that into a prayer. And the prayer I want to turn that into it's a prayer that goes like this. God, keep me, from fo- keep me from following those who want to lead me astray and away from Jesus. Help me to endure, to stay true to Jesus as my Lord. And remove any love of the kingdom of this world from my heart. So why don't we pray that together right now. Father, I know we covered a huge, huge passage. But I, I, I felt the need to cover the whole thing and I know we left lots of details out and maybe isolated questions that people have about particular sayings but but Lord I pray that we would see the heart of the passage 
that we're not to be deceived by people who want to trick us into moving into bad directions, move us getting caught up with things that aren't important to you, and that we must persevere with our focus on Christ and His glory and His kingdom. And that God, the love of this world, does have a grip on our hearts. Some live for partying. Some live for the moment. Some just live for themselves and what, their own pleasure. No self-control among us. God, remove that. Because your return will come suddenly. And all will see it. And it will reveal what we live for. And so whether that is today, whether you come back tomorrow, or whether our great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren will see it, Lord, whatever it is, may we stand true to you and may we pass that legacy on to the next generation that what matters most is your kingdom, not our lifestyle. God, remove that love for the world and fill it up with a love for your kingdom. May we hear Jesus today. It's in his name I pray. Amen.